Here we go. Y'all ready? Acts chapter 16. We're just going to look at three verses today. Acts 16, 17, and 18. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Well, Father, open our hearts and minds to see this good news, to see, Lord, and to rest assured that Jesus has defeated all evil. Jesus has defeated the forces of darkness. And even though there is still evil and there is still darkness in this sinful world, we, the children of God, the children of light, have no reason to fear, for we are no longer darkness, but we are now light in the Lord, and we have been commanded to walk as children of light. And where the light goes, darkness is dispelled. So, Father, give us courageous hearts, Lord, to walk into the darkness and trust and know that your light dispels all in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke writes this, and he says, As we went to prayer, now it happened as we went to prayer. So last week we saw that as Paul went to prayer, he met a certain woman named Lydia. Now Paul is going to prayer again, and he meets a certain slave girl. And this happens... This happened as he was going to prayer. More than likely, it was the same place of prayer that he met Lydia. Have you noticed that in the scripture, and we see this quite often, that things happen when we go to prayer. Remember, James and John were going to prayer, and they encountered the lame man who had sat at that gate for decades. Jesus, no doubt, walked by him. But on that day, as James and John are going to prayer, that layman's life is changed. Things happen when we go to prayer and not just accidental or coincidental things. It wasn't an accident that Paul met Lydia, and it's not an accident that he met this certain slave girl. Our prayers are powerful, and prayer changes things. We need to know this. We need to believe this. We had a great lesson on prayer today in Sunday school. And we need to know that our prayers are powerful and our prayers change things. And we need to pray in a way that we believe that. God can make even our journey to prayer, to the place of prayer, a powerful experience. As he has done twice now in this record given to us in Acts 16. And we should be a people that go faithfully to prayer, trusting God to work through our purpose to pray, trusting him to conform us to his will, trusting that we will see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth and most certainly in us. That should be our prayer. 
that God's kingdom come, that his will be done on earth, yes, but not just on earth, but in us. By God's grace, perhaps we will look back one day and say, now it happened as I went to prayer. Now it happened as I prayed. We are given the privilege to come to the throne of grace, and we can come to that throne anytime we choose, anytime we want. And that is not a privilege that we should take for granted. It is not a privilege that we should take lightly. And we are the children of God, and we should have testimonies of what God has done for us through prayer. Just like the testimonies we read in the Scripture. Just like the testimonies that exist all around us. Just like the testimonies we all are. Do you realize that you are a testimony of someone's prayers? What has happened in your life, things you've experienced, you are, those are testimonies of prayer. Consider what has happened and what will happen in our lives and in our world because we went to prayer or because we did not. God knows. And Luke writes, now it happened as we went to prayer. This is to the place of prayer. This would be the same place of prayer that Paul met Lydia. The place of prayer that was recorded earlier in this chapter. It doesn't tell us how much earlier, but it appears it was not long after that initial meeting with Lydia that Paul meets this certain slave girl. A certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination. So what do we know about this certain girl? We know that she was a slave, meaning that she was not her own. She was owned by her masters. It also tells us that this girl was possessed by a spirit of divination. This girl was possessed physically by human masters, but she was also possessed spiritually by demonic masters. She was possessed with a spirit of divination. That word translated divination is the Greek word from which we get our word. Are you ready for this? Python. Like the snake. The snake, the python, that's where this word comes from. Does anyone know how the story who studied Greek mythology when you were in school? Who paid attention in Greek mythology when you were in school? Absolutely not. This word translated divination is from the Greek word that we get our word python from. Actually, in the Greek, it's not, it's not python, it's python. Python was the name given to the serpent that kept guard at a place called Delphi. Delphi is on the southern coast of Greece. And it was the name given to the serpent that kept guard of this place. The ancient Greeks considered Delphi to be the center of the world. It was called the navel of the earth. And the mythological legend is that the Greek god Apollo killed this great serpent and left it there to rot 
Thus, the name Pathon comes from the Greek word that means to rot. So, the word we use for snake, python, comes ultimately from a Greek word that means to rot. Apollo killed this giant serpent guarding this place called Delphi, and he left it there to rot. And so, the people... The oracles, he picked Delphi to be the place of his oracle. And so the people that were there, the oracles that were there were called Python. The spirit that possessed those people was called Python. It represented that snake, that serpent that guarded that place that Apollo killed. The famous oracle at Delphi was associated with this Pathon spirit in the worship of Apollo. An oracle was a person who was believed to have this spirit and the power to foretell the future. The oracles at Delphi existed for centuries. It goes all the way back as far back as 1400 BC, long before the Greek Empire. And these oracles that supposedly had this spirit of Pathon, this serpent spirit, were able to foretell the future. So people from all over the world, kings and powerful people, would go to Delphi, to the oracle there, to find out what the future would hold. So these oracles at Delphi were consulted by people worldwide for centuries. This slave girl was possessed with the spirit of divination or a pathon spirit literally is what it means. Because of this, she brought much profit to her masters. As she was regarded to have a spirit of divination, people would pay the girl's masters so that she would foretell the future. And so it says that as they went to prayer, to the place of prayer, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, this Pathon serpent spirit, met us, Luke writes. Again, just like the chance meeting with Lydia, this was a chance meeting with a certain slave girl. But it was not a meeting planned by Paul. You understand, Paul didn't plan to meet this girl. None of his disciples that were with him planned to meet her. They were just simply going to prayer one day and they met this girl possessed by the spirit of divination. It was not a meeting planned by Paul, but it was certainly and no doubt a meeting planned by God. We should not be surprised when God arranges those types of meetings for us. In fact, we should always be open and looking for the opportunity that God might plan one of these meetings for us. They most, like, they most often happen when we are least expecting them. I mean, we're going someplace for some purpose, and then coincidentally, accidentally, I meet someone. I get diverted to, to this thing over here, and lo and behold, God has a plan and a purpose we need to be open to those things because this is how God works. We see this throughout the Scripture. As we will see, this 
This meeting with this certain slave girl had far-reaching effects for Paul and Silas and many others. This is how God works in our daily lives and in our world. Chance meetings, small coincidences, unforeseen events, all adding up to God's plan and God's purpose being lived out and accomplished through so many lives and so many chance events through His story. God writes these in His story all the time. I hope that you are not unaware of how God works. I hope you notice that as you daily live your life, as you daily do the things you must do, the things you desire to do, and yes, even the things you do not desire to do, but have to do anyway. How many times has that happened? You go do something you didn't really want to do, but you did it anyways, and then you find out God has a plan and God has a purpose through that. God is working in all of these ways. We don't always see his work in the moment. But as we continue living and moving and having our very being in Jesus, we will come to see God's work in all of these things. God never works on our time. Well, sometimes he does, right? But very often, our time and God's time is not the same. Very often, we want things sooner then sometimes God is willing to give. It's not our story. It's God's story. It's His story. We measure time now and often impatiently. Time one day, though, you do realize this, will be consumed by eternity. When this, when this creation is swallowed up, with the consummation of all things, and the new creation that Jesus has already ushered in overtakes and completely does away with the old creation, now still under the weight of the curse, under the weight of sin, other, under the weight of death. One day that will be no more, and time will be no more. There will be no sun, no moon, no marking of time the way we mark it now. Time as we know it now will not exist. It's hard to comprehend. The eternal day, the eternal reality. We grow very impatient, marking time, counting minutes, counting hours, counting days, counting weeks and months and years. God is working now in time, in His time, for His glory. God never works, though, apart from our good. God doesn't always work according to our time, but God is always working for our good as His children. A certain slave girl the Bible says, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Paul and his friends meet her as they're on their way to prayer. An oracle would be described today as a fortune-teller. Some translations use the word soothsayer. I think actually the King James uses the word soothsayer. 
which comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means truth teller. But a soothsayer is not a truth teller. But people that went to soothsayers, people that go to fortune tellers, think they're getting their fortune told, think they're getting their future told. But you do understand that it's a lie. That word today, soothsayer, has the same meaning as a fortune teller. This slave girl was possessed with the spirit of divination, this Pathon spirit. And because of this, she brought much profit to her masters. As she was regarded to have a spirit of divination, people would pay to have their futures told. And this word fortune telling or soothsaying would also in indicate a certain behavior. So they would go to her because they thought she could foretell future events. But there was also a behavior associated with this. This word soothsaying or this word translated fortune telling tells us that there was a certain behavior that was often associated with these oracles. The oracle or the priestess under the power of the gods would rave as though temporarily mad or out of control or under the control of the spirit or under the control of the gods. And all of this would add to the, to the, the theatrical illusion. So it was a great show. It was the illusion of being possessed by a spirit of divination. Sometimes it was pretend. Sometimes people did it as an act, like today. They don't really possess the ability to tell the future. Only God knows the future. These are what we call familiar spirits. You can go to an illusionist today and think that he can tell your future, but he can read you, and he knows certain things, and it can appear as though he can tell the future. The overwhelming majority of these people today are just good con artists. But here's the reality, real or pretended, this activity is de it's demonic. This girl, the Bible says, was actually possessed by a spirit. And due to Delphi's long history and its oracles and the spirit of divination associated with that cult, the people of Philippi would have believed the powers of the girl to be inspired by Apollo, the god. Thus she brought much profit to her masters. Many people today still waste their treasure on false prophets, psychics, and fortune tellers to seek truth. Some people are more faithful to read the horoscopes than they are the scriptures. To trust in the movement of the stars instead of the God who created them. God has given us his holy word to read and to know the truth. In Christ, we're given the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. That truth that's revealed through the word of God. Just as in the, the days of Paul, many people today are looking for a word or a prediction or some kind of inside information from a natural or a supernatural source to give them an advantage or some measure of assurance about the future. This is why this slave girl was so profitable to her masters because people then are just like people today 
if I could know the future, if I could know what the stock price is going to be next week or tomorrow, if I knew what the future hold, I could plan accordingly. People back then are no different than they are today. Human nature back then is just as sinful as human nature is today. And it is the lack of faith, our lack of trusting God, that contributes to these things. God has given us his word as the source of all truth and real hope. The scriptures reveal Christ to us, and Christ is our hope, both in life and in death. We do not need fortune tellers or psychics or astrology to guide us. In Christ, we have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, both living and written and infinitely powerful. What God has given to us in Jesus Christ is priceless. We must stop looking to the world and its oracles, whatever form they take today, or to others. Or even to ourself. We must look to Jesus. There is no amount of money or riches we could pay to receive what God has freely given to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of Philippi were trusting in an oracle. Paul would show them a better way. He would show them Jesus. We today must have eyes to see Jesus and be delivered from the spirit of this world and cling to the spirit of God in Christ. This girl followed Paul and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Servants of the Most High God. Why did this girl follow Paul? Why did this demon-possessed slave girl follow them around, crying out, These are servants of the Most High God, proclaiming to us the way of salvation. The scripture doesn't tell us why she followed, but it does tell us what happened because she followed. God had a reason unknown to Paul or to anyone at that time. Why things happen is not nearly as important as what happens as a result. We want to know the reason why. But what's more important than knowing why something happens is what happens. So it was with the slave girl who followed Paul. We see what happened, if not why. We know all things happen for a reason, and the ultimate reason is the glory of God. That is reason enough, but that is not always satisfactory. It should be, but it does not always satisfy us to know that all things happen for God's glory, even the hard things, even the bitter things. This is just one small example. We see the slave girl following Paul. We don't know why she's following him other than God moved on her to do so and ultimately for his glory. We can see the result of her following, a glorious result for her, but a result that created tribulation for Paul and Silas. The good news we see throughout the scripture is that one man's tribulation can actually result in another man's salvation. 
And we're going to see this next week as we continue on in this chapter. Think about it. Paul is not, he doesn't have a clue what's going to happen as a result of this chance meeting with this slave girl. She follows him around for days. And he gets annoyed enough that he casts the demon out of her. And that has consequences that Paul could never have seen. But one man's tribulations often result in another man's salvation. The perfect example of that is Jesus dying for us on the cross. The ultimate tribulation bringing about the ultimate salvation. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Here is a demon-possessed slave girl following Paul and the disciples around saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That has always seemed odd to me. Why would a demon-possessed girl follow Paul around proclaiming that they are the servants of the Most High God? What we do know is that she and her master was not a servant of the Most High God. Yet she proclaimed that Paul and the disciples were. She was a slave to Apollo and the Pathon spirit of divination that possessed her to profit her earthly slave masters and to the spiritual detriment of many people who looked to her for counsel to make their life decisions based on what this oracle would say to them, what this demon-possessed slave girl might say to them. Think of all the people that made their life decisions based on the money they paid to have a slave girl demon-possessed tell them a lie from the enemy. Think of how the enemy shipwrecks people's lives and laughs the whole time as people think that they're actually getting truth. And it's not that everything she said was not true because she certainly proclaimed the truth about Paul and the disciples and the Most High God and them proclaiming the way to salvation. She was proclaiming at the very least that these men were not servants of Apollo. That's also what she proclaimed. This is who she served. And she was proclaiming that these men are not servants of Apollo. They are servants of another God, the Most High God. The Spirit in her knew, just as the spirits Jesus would cast out, knew who he was. Luke 4.41 And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. That was Jesus then. It was not yet his time when he was casting out demons. This now, though, is Paul. And in Paul's time, Jesus is on high, ruling and reigning. Now it is time to make Jesus known. Today is the day to declare his name and his salvation. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What the slave girl was saying was true. Though her reason for saying it may not have been for truth, but for a lie. Whatever the reason, Paul would no longer put up with her declaration of truth coming from a source that was itself a lie. Paul would not have the truth of the gospel tied to the corrupting lie of the devil. She was letting the people of Philippi know who Paul and the others were, but also who they were not. They were servants of the Most High God, and they did proclaim the way of salvation. They were not servants of Apollo. They did not possess the same spirit that she did. In that ancient world, just as in our world today, the false belief that there are many ways to salvation was very common. The slave girl was letting all know that these men proclaiming another way to salvation... But as she proclaimed the other way to salvation, she was simply adding to all the other commonly held beliefs. In other words, she was saying, here's another God, here's another way to salvation. In that time and in that place, you could not have too many gods. The more gods, the merrier. The more ways to salvation, the better. The problem there is that Christianity and the gospel is not just another way. It is the one and only truth that can set men free. Jesus Christ is not just another door, another gate, another way. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That's what Jesus said about himself. This declaration of the Most High God and the way to salvation was just another God and another way. And Paul said, enough. Verse 18, and this she did for many days, but Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. This was not a girl who was a good actor. This girl was actually demon-possessed. The Bible says Paul called that demon out, and that demon came out that very hour. Paul was, was, was preaching the gospel, and he would not tolerate the enemy, nor should we. The slave girl followed Paul and his group crying out about them for many days. Paul became greatly annoyed, the scripture says, or greatly distressed. His annoyance or his distress was concerning the enemy and what was happening with and through that girl. Paul was not annoyed at the girl, but at the enemy. For it was Paul who wrote in Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Paul was annoyed at the enemy and would tolerate it no longer. In that moment, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. That Pathon serpent spirit the slave girl served was the very same serpent, the very same spirit that took the truth of God and deceived man in the Garden of Eden. In the appointed time, Paul cast out the demon just as in the appointed time the seed of the woman came and crushed the head of the serpent. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, Paul cried. And that very hour, that spirit came out of that girl. And she was no longer a slave, even though she may have been physically owned by earthly masters. She was no longer a slave to that spirit. And though she may have continued being an earthly slave, she had been set free by the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power then, and that power has not diminished up to this very moment, nor will it ever be diminished. Do not think that the power of God has waned. It has not. We are told in the Scripture that Jesus does not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jesus proclaimed in Philippi, the Jesus named at the casting out of that spirit from the possessed slave girl is the same Jesus that lives in your heart and my heart through faith. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, dwells in you and it will strengthen your mortal body, the Bible teaches us. It will renew your mind. It will change you and transform you and it will conform you to the very image of the Son of God. Paul commanded the demon to come out in the name of Jesus Christ and the demon obeyed for it could do nothing else against the power of that name. And don't think for one moment that the enemy can stand against the name of Jesus because he cannot. Paul commanded that demon to come out and that demon obeyed. And we have that same power in the name of Jesus. How do we know we have power over the devil? The answer is the Bible tells me so. In our humility found in Jesus Christ, we have been given power over the schemes of the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 6-9 through 9 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, seeking whom he may devour. Here's the good news, Christian. He may not devour you. If you belong to Jesus, he may not devour you. God will not allow it. This is why we are to have no fear of the devil. 
We are to have no fear of the enemy. I didn't say be flippant. I didn't say that we should take things for granted. I said we should have no fear of the devil and the enemy. Fear God. Be wise and be understanding. Jesus has overcome the devil. James 4, 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. It is our choice to give place to the devil or not. We can choose to resist him, and if we do, the promise is he will flee from us as we submit ourselves to God. Listen, if you're not submitted to God, your resistance of the devil isn't going to do any good. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Choose not to give place to him. You have that choice in Jesus. You have that power now in Jesus. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What's the result of our resistance? We will stand. We will stand and not fall as we are submitted to God, as we resist the devil. These are not suggestions. These are commandments. We are commanded to humble ourselves under God. We are commanded to be sober and vigilant. We are commanded to submit ourselves to God. We are commanded to resist the devil. We are commanded to not give place to the devil. The command is do not give place to the devil. We are commanded to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are commanded in the name of Jesus to stand and having done all, keep standing. The Bible never promises that obedience will be easy or convenient or always pleasant even. It does promise that we will be blessed though as a result of our obedience. Listen to the words of encouragement along with words of warning from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. Isaiah writes, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." This word was written to Judah, but it was written for us. Judah did not obey and was ultimately devoured by the sword more than once. 
because they persisted in their disobedience. But the promise remains. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And they are by faith in Jesus Christ. That word was written to Judah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But the promise was not just made to Judah then. The promise is made to all of God's people for all eternity. Though our sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow by faith in Jesus Christ. That is our reality now. This is how Jesus has disarmed our enemy. There is no longer an accusation that can be brought against us because our sins, though they were crimson, they are now white as snow. If we are willing and obedient, we will eat the good of the land. If we are willing and obedient, we will trust in Jesus. In Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, every eternal blessing. Blessings that can never pass away. Blessings that are here and now, right now, tangible on this earth and for all eternity. We are invited to the table of the Lord each week. God sets his table and invites us to come. Not based first on our obedience, but based first on the obedience of Christ. Our obedience is found in trusting him as the one who walked in perfect obedience before his Father. The one who lived a sinless life only to become sin for us. It is his obedience we trust in. It is our trust in him that is our obedience. And out of our obedient faith, out of our obedient Trusting in Jesus will come a life that is pleasing to him. So as you trust Jesus, come to the table of the Lord. Welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. If you think about it, picture of the serpent in the garden interacting with Eve, just like a soothsayer, just like a fortune teller, mixing truth with lie, all in an effort to deceive, all in an effort to get Eve to believe the words being spoken. The enemy is a master at mixing truth with the lie. This is how Eve was, was deceived. It is how we are deceived today. We are drawn away by our own lust and our desires not because they are blatantly false, but because they are mixed with enough truth to justify them in our mind that has not been sufficiently renewed in the truth. We have been given power in the name of Jesus, not only to cast out demons, but to cast out thoughts. Demons are not the real problem we deal with. They know the power of Jesus' name, but they also know the weakness of our flesh and our minds. Thus we are commanded to present our bodies and to renew our minds. It is our thoughts, our own carnal mind, and its lust and desire running rampant that is our real problem. We give the enemy place through a mind not renewed to the truth. It is too often easier to submit to sin than it is to submit to God. Our charge is to submit to God and to resist the devil. 
God always makes a way of escape from temptation. He teaches us in his word. Our charge is to take the way of escape. To not give in to our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says it better than I ever could. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Our charge is to punish all disobedience with our obedience. So let us obey God and glorify Him through lives that are well-pleasing to Him. Amen.